Welcome to Tactically Speaking. I'm Sam Ricada. I'm Javier Scura. Today we're going to analyze the Chelsea versus Tottenham game and the Bournemouth versus Arsenal game and then just talk a little bit about why we're doing this. And Sergio Ramos gets a nimble erection. What the Men's defense stretched out like spandex on Miami Beach in Castilla. Orgasmic passing is perfection. listeners out there um we played some of the highest youth levels played a little bit in college uh now we're kind of on the coaching analyzing side and thought it would be fun to look at some t- uh, games and statistics and tactical stuff and make a podcast about it yeah i think i think the big takeaway is that this is these are really just our opinions even though we like yes. to think we know a lot and i like to think that we do yeah uh doesn't mean that we do or that we experts or that we're gonna get everything right exactly yeah it's just us kind of having some fun and putting our opinions out there and uh, we looked at some things from ESPN and some other places and said, hey, you know, we want to, we have different opinions, uh, maybe right or wrong, and let's, uh, let's voice them. Yeah, and I think the we'll get into it maybe in a later episode in more detail, but De Gea yes, probably being the biggest one of these, right? Absolutely, yeah. Obviously, I got a little, little bias for De Gea there, but uh, I guess we both do. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Shall we uh, get right into it? Let's get into the games. Okay, so first up, we uh, we talked about Tottenham Chelsea. Um, obviously, Chelsea coming out um, very slow. Uh, I thought Tottenham on fire and all cylinders from the beginning uh, ended up three one. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on the game? For me, the same. I'm so glad that this is the first match we're going to do because it's a perfect example uh, of what we're going to do in this podcast, which is to talk about the overarching tactics and talking general about tactics rather than just analyzing individual plays. And this this game for me was a perfect comparison. It gave us what in my opinion was extremely what I consider extremely good tactic yeah. and and an extremely bad one. I agree. And that's why it's a perfect example. And ultimately I'm actually glad Tottenham won exclusively because the good tactic won in my opinion. I agree. It's always nice when when the ones that you think should win based on how they play, do win. I agree. Yeah. Tottenham, the much better team from the beginning to the final whistle. Chelsea only kind of scoring, you know, in garbage time, so to speak. Uh, I definitely think Tottenham got their tactics right. I, I agree with you. This is, we couldn't ask for a better game to start with. Just comparing the tactics. Uh, from the beginning, Tottenham came out and uh, Sarri was saying, you know, Chelsea, uh, midweek in his press conference, he was talking about how Chelsea needed to get over this mental hump and this slow start and everything. Well, nothing changed. You know, the first couple of minutes, uh, Tottenham almost scored within first three minutes. Had a couple of chances. Uh, Chelsea looked shell-shocked. Didn't know Kepa had a couple of uh, poor distribution you know, throws and kicks and put him right back under pressure. Uh, Chelsea just didn't look like a team that was ready to start from the, whistle, from the first whistle. Tottenham's high-pressing, forcing turnovers right back down their throat, you know, Balls getting played out from uh, David Luiz and Rudiger to nobody, um, you know, and Tottenham's right there. They got it right from the beginning. What, what is your takeaway specifically? What did you notice specifically about 
what was Tanum's plan? You know, from a, again, from a focusing, coming back to the tactics, right? Right. right. What, what was your takeaway of like these sort of the specific things that you noticed they were doing? You talked about high pressure. Yeah. Uh, what, what else uh, would, can, did you notice? And let's talk about the first half first, because I think yeah. there, was a, there were very different halves. So let's talk about I the agree. first half. Uh, first half, I mean, the first thing that jumped off, you know, top of my mind was, okay, what are they going to do with Hazard? Uh, so many teams have tried to gameplay around Eden Hazard. Tottenham went a different route. They, uh, it seemed like they dropped Deli Alley a little bit uh, to make sure he was all over Jorginho. Uh, Jorginho is coming into the game. He's averaging 92 passes a game uh, in the Premier League. Yesterday, he finished with 52. 91% completion rate coming into the game. Yesterday, 82%. So immediately, Deli Alley drops in on him, gives him no room to breathe. Really, the only, you know, those, most of those 52 passes were back. So he was forcing the ball backwards. They were cutting off the service to Hazard and Lillian from the heart there and Jorginho. Uh, so I think that that was the where it kind of centered around for me. Uh, and I think it was pretty effective. They, you know, suffocated him and didn't really give him any outlets and completely controlled the midfield there. You know, you've got Kovacic, Kante, and Jorginho in there. Great players, but no creativity. I think we can kind of touch on that in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I think... From the beginning of that first half, it was, let's suffocate him, let's force turnovers, let's not let Jorginho on the ball and give him time, and it, it definitely worked. Yeah, I, I was very surprised. Um, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying. I also thought that it was a little bit self-inflicted by Chelsea. This is something that I hate in coaching, and one of the things that I think sometimes gets confused with tactics. Yeah. And rigid a rigid formation is not a tactic. For me, a tactic is more of a vision of the game. Right. But here what we saw from Chelsea was a rigid formation. Here's what I noticed on attack. In every single attack in the first half, mm-hmm. Chelsea was attacking with four players every single time. Yeah. Three up top with Morata, uh, William, and Hazard, mm-hmm. and then Kante making a run. The other thing that I noticed is, and this is where the rigid tactic came into place, when the, the ball was on either side, either William or Hazard, and then the other three players, Kante, Morata, and William, mm-hmm. would go into the box. The three of them would stand in line, stand still, yeah. stand yeah. Perfectly still. <laughs> right. And then the winger who had the ball at the time would cross it. What happens here is with them standing still, you're going to have those three additional defenders plus an additional defender dropping back or something from Tottenham. So basically, the, the advantage there always going to go to the defense. I noticed a couple of times, in part because of what you were saying, Deli Ali, but sometimes, again, I think a rigid instruction from the coach. There was nobody at the top of the box because all those three were inside. Yep. And Jorginho sometimes or Kovacic, they had the space to move 10 yards up mm-hmm. and occupy that top of the box, and they did not. So okay. there was nobody there. Right. And so it seemed to me very deliberate that the strategy was, hey, the three of you get in the box, and the other guy will cross it. Talking about the creativity, the other issue with this is players like Willie and like Hazard, they really love cutting inside. Yeah. But when you have such a rigid strategy where the coaches clearly said do this, whenever Hazard would cut inside, the three players would remain in the box, so there's no space for him to shoot right. or to dribble into the box because it's already saturated with players. And I I hate that that stuff gets confused with tactics because I don't right. think it is. Just telling a couple guys, hey, you stand over there and trust me, you're going to score if you do right. this and always do this. Right. You don't adapt. It's bad. Now, right. comparing that to, I think, Tottenham's approach to offense, they had their three attacking mids in Son, Eriksen, and Ali. They would stand right in front of the back four receive in between the lines. Obviously, what happens when you receive there is you draw a defender, one of the back four. That immediately creates a space behind right. the defender. 
pass through. Yeah. I don't think they ultimately ended up scoring one of those, but they created a lot of opportunities and then it opened up the game. And I really love that because it's not a rigid strategy, more as a guideline, the vision for how we want to play, which is we want to play between the lines right. by drawing defenders and having over- overlapping runs from the back. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think uh, if you look at it, so many chances were created because they dropped into that space and they forced uh, Rudiger or David Luiz to step up and now you've got space to play in between. Uh, and you've got, you know, Son, I thought he had an unbelievable game yesterday. Incredible. I mean, his, his pace, his vision, finding that space. We'll talk later about his wonder goal. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, and then almost had another one at the mm-hmm. end. But they did a great job of finding that space, creating chances, um, causing confusion between that back line and those center mids. That, well, somebody's got to pick them up. You know, whether it's Kovacic dropping or, or um, you know, I still don't understand why Conte is playing as an attacking. I, I don't I, either. That that gets me, you know, yesterday I'm looking, you were talking about being stuck in your in your so-called tactics. Well, all right, so you bring in Giorgino because he comes from, you know, Napoli with you and great player. But now you've displaced Conte, who reminds you a couple of years ago, he was kind of the anchor of that Leicester City team that won the Premier League. Yeah. Okay, they did the impossible. And probably one of the best defensive defensive mids in the world. I agree. I don't understand why he's playing in you know, more of an attacking mode. There were times yesterday I saw him. He's the highest guy up the pitch. That's not his role. He's the guy that can get in there, win those tackles, protect the back line, you know, protect some of that space that Tottenham were u- utilizing yesterday. He's the guy that can sit in there and do that. But, you know, you've kind of displaced him. Where's the creativity? Yeah. Uh, None of those three guys are guys that are going to go up through the middle and create something. You see Ross Barkley come in in the 50-something minute. Right. Okay, and he's the guy that that's his that's his role. Um, you know, maybe not a world-class player there. Uh, maybe has the potential to be. It gets but, it done. But, yeah, he, he at least has some creativity going forward. We've seen that a little bit throughout the season. You know, talking about having the guys out wide. Obviously, the two most dangerous people yesterday for Chelsea are Eden Hazard and William. Yeah, I mean, from a skill standpoint, from right? a skill standpoint, yeah. the, only, the only if you look at the opportunities that Chelsea had, it was those guys getting the ball and trying to do something individually, you know, or putting in the, spite you know. of the directions they had received from their coach, exactly. not I, because yeah. of them. Right, I agree. Kind of um, a rebellious, right. Kind of like I'm doing this on my own. Yeah, I'm going to create something yeah. because I've got nothing else. I think Morata, you know, he's he's got five in his last seven, uh, so maybe he's starting to turn it around, but he's still he's making good runs. But there's no help there either. Marcus Alonso, he's one of the guys getting for it. Your left back yeah. has is creating more opportunities than any of your center mids. Contrast that with Tottenham, mm-hmm. who by design allow their creative players to be creative. Yes. Son was attacking from the left. They moved to the right. Kane mm-hmm. would draw back to receive, and Eriksen would fill in the gap behind him. Yes. Dele Alli was on the left and the right all over the place, allowing your creative players, mm-hmm. your your playmakers to to do just that to to make plays. Right trust that they're going to do what mm-hmm. you know know what to do with the ball and right. and they do when you give quality players just a vision and that yep. vision is this is kind of how we want to attack and these are some guidelines for how you might be successful but right. ultimately when you have the ball you make decisions about how you want to do things you give that kind of vision to a good quality player and they're going to make a lot of things happen absolutely both teams have the talents on their bench on the field to do that to be yeah. able to trust those guys let, let hazard go yeah i mean We've seen some of the brilliance he has, but you know you got to give him something, some some type so, of help. So, what was your homework for each team for halftime? Hey, Tottenham, Tottenham was you know you go in up two 0 
you got to come out second half. You got to continue the pressure. You got to continue put another one away. Finish the game off. Uh, force those mistakes. Don't you, you can't let up. You know we often talk about in soccer two nil is a is a very dangerous scoreline. You know the next goal matters. Is it three nothing? You put the game to bed, or is it two one? Now we got a game. So you know one half Chelsea's good enough that you can't lay off. You know, give them four to five minutes to come back at you. Uh, Chelsea, I think, you know, it didn't take long after the third goal that they made the switch to Ross Barkley and um, Pedro. Pedro. I think Hazard was the target man. Yeah. And you've got Giroud on the bench. We saw him this summer, you know, in the World Cup. Maybe he didn't, you know, he didn't score a lot of goals. And a lot of people were, you know, questioning that, you know, his effectiveness. But you see the chances that he helped create and everything. Uh, and he gives you a different type of presence in the box. I thought maybe bringing him on earlier, but you know they let Hazard kind of be the target man, which is not yeah. not really his thing. Again, he needs to be in that creative kind of go find some space and do your thing, uh, not like a a target man. Yeah, I I was a little disappointed that as well. My, my homework for Tottenham was the same what you said, which is do what you're doing. Yeah, and in fact they did. They did. My homework for Chelsea was trying to be less rigid, like I was right. talking about, and I was actually a little bit excited when Pedro came in for Morata at first yeah. because I thought. My initial thought was, okay, so it looks like they are going to try to be a little bit less rigid. And I think for 10 or 15 minutes, we saw that. Mm-hmm. That's when I liked Chelsea the most, when they were not being as rigid. And I saw Pedro on the left, on the right, Hazard also moving yeah. around. But within a few minutes, like you were just saying, Hazard settled into the center. It's like, yeah. well, that kind of defeats the point. Right. You know, you, you're trying to implement again that rigidity, but now with a target man who is less of a target mm-hmm. man. Um, so that was kind of my, my homework for Chelsea. I was, so I was a little excited when Pedro came in for Morata. Not because I like Pedro better or less than Morata, but right. because I think what that meant right. for for the vision for the rest of the game and the tactics. Right. You know, in the second half, towards the second half of the second half, we saw uh, Kovacic get up more, yeah. uh, Jorginho get up more and try to create more stuff. And that's when Chelsea created the most danger, when they, when they came up with more than four players. Right. But it goes back to what you were saying. And even though at the end of the day, those players tried to create something, in my opinion, you have the wrong players for that. If right. you have three, basically three holding mids... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. Kovacic is not a super creative player. No, he's he tried, and yeah. I think in the second half he tried, and you have to give him that for trying. It, but he's not Hazard. He's not right. you know he's not a creative midfielder. Right. Yeah, it was I don't know. I I saw a glimmer of hope for Chelsea in the second half mm-hmm. with the with the change, but never really took effect all the way. No, no, and I mean. Again, they were most dangerous on the outside, just trying to cross it into one or two guys or three guys standing still. And, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about Sari and his, you know, experience and things like that. And maybe this is something he looks at and learns and see, all right, how can I change this? Because now Tottenham have given other teams in the Premier League kind of a blueprint of, all right, here's what you need to do. I mean, you saw how frustrated Jorginho was getting. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, pulling Deli Ali's shirt and getting into it, getting yellow cards for, you know, he's frustrated because he has no room to breathe. They got it right, uh, and he's got no help. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea Chelsea play next week. They clearly can. So in Giroud's goal, that was, a, for me, a really good example of what, what I didn't like in the right. first half and how they improved that, specifically for that goal and yeah. I think one other chance, which is instead of having three players sit still waiting mm-hmm. for the cross, the players were outside of the box. Right. That meant that Giroud was in the box with one defender. Right. So when the ball started coming in, the extra players they came in making runs from the outside, right. bringing the defenders to different parts instead right. of just having a handful of defenders in one spot. That meant that Giroud had basically a one-on-one against a defender right. on a header, as opposed to in the first half when Morata was 
him versus three. Right. And Giroud one one in a header. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean <laughs> it's what he does. Exactly. <laughs> it's Absolutely. his one party trick. Absolutely. And so, yeah, of course he scored. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a great finish. And that, because and they, exactly. cre- they created space for him just by not being there standing still next right. to him. Right. I mean, it's one of those things you teach at the youth level. Right? Let's start our runs from depth. Yeah. Okay, give... Because now defenders have to try to keep up with you. You crowd the box. You have space to run into rather than, okay, let's just loft up a ball to, you know, 4v4, everybody's standing still. Yeah. So. Yeah. So before we wrap up this mm. game, Stan. Yeah. That goal. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that to me, you know, again, it goes back to if Conte is a defensive mid, maybe he's keeping up with him. But Son, I mean... That little stop gets, uh, gets him, gets him to slow down second. and then he's gone. And then David Luiz, what are you doing? Diving in. He, um, he can't let him get past him like yeah. that. All the credit to Son for the ability he had to run at that, at that pace and keep control of the ball and just tuck it home. I mean, that was, that was something. That was fun to watch. I'm always surprised by how fast Son is. It's, uh, yeah. it's almost like I forget from play to play right. how fast he is. <laughs> yes. But he showed that in a lot of the plays today that he made crazy quick runs yeah that goal was just a masterpiece it was uh, like you were saying I, th- I think he had no business scoring it yeah with you know David Luiz could have hold back right but ultimately I think even though defenders could have done better right it wasn't because of defensive mistakes Sanchez so I mean yeah absolutely yeah give, give all credit to him I mean that's that was that was a fantastic we like to talk about tactics but yeah. nothing to do with tactics here he just grabbed the ball yeah. <laughs> and he yeah, scored <laughs> well, I mean it kind of went back to you know he has the confidence that his manager wants him to create something on his own, it's you know, true. at times. And, you know, Deli Ali looks up, finds him down the line and go see what you can do. And I think that while it wasn't, you know, so tactically speaking, it's just he's got that built in from Pochettino telling them, hey, you guys, I trust you, it, you know, make something happen at times. And so when you have that confidence, you have the manager telling you yeah. rather than I mean, he could easily held it up and wait for somebody. You know, but his manager is telling him, hey, he has the confidence, you know, has the confidence to go manager. do it. Yeah. Well, then I try something like yeah. that. So let's wrap up. I was thinking yeah. what we could do is give a couple bullet points maybe on each team. Okay. Um, as we track these teams throughout the Premier League, mm-hmm. maybe, for example, you know, next time we see Chelsea or Tottenham yeah. play, what are we looking for? What are we paying attention to when Tottenham plays or when Chelsea plays? And maybe what should they improve? Just a couple bullet points and yeah. then we'll move on to the next game. Okay. Uh, I think Chelsea, creativity. Where's the creativity coming through the middle? How do they protect that space between back line and those center mids? And how do they, you know, just again, how do they create more chances? Uh, Tottenham, can they continue to do that? Can they continue to uh, capitalize on mistakes? They, I mean, that game could have been four or five now. Kepa had a couple of uh, good saves there, yeah. but you know, can they keep that up? Can they have that creativity? I question their defense a little as well. Uh, Chelsea didn't really test them as much. I think Tottenham, one thing we did mention is Tottenham got lucky at the beginning to not give away a PK and yep. possibly 1-1. Yep. I think for me, that was a, that was a penalty. Outside of that, let's see how the, how that young defense kind of plays and can they keep up that level? Yes. What about you? Uh, for me, Chelsea, same thing. I'll word it a little bit differently so I mm-hmm. not repeat myself, yeah. but I want the manager to give his team confidence. Right. I want Hazard, William... Maratha, these guys, when they get the ball, they, I don't want them thinking, what did coach tell me to do? Right. Oh, drive up the line. I want them to be able to come side. It's okay to have a strategy, 
but let the players adapt. So that's what I uh, that's what I want to see in them right. moving forward. In Tottenham, more so than homework for them, what I would say is just advise people who watch Tottenham play yeah. to look specifically for this, which is those three players, those three attacking mids, they are sitting almost in a line in between the midfielders and the and the defensive yeah. line. And that's there were a couple of times where you could have taken a screenshot and drawn a line. Yeah. And that's what I want people to look at. Right. Because with a single pass, all you have to do is get one mm-hmm. pass in between those two lines. Yeah. And then you have a very creative player who draws a defender and creates space. So I think just, again, tactically yeah. speaking, this is what people should be looking out for is right. how effective that is. You're talking about the defense. You're right. They can improve. But they also, I think, again, another thing to look forward to or something they should keep doing is if you're aware that your your talent, your right. utmost talent is up top, then keep up the high pressure. Yeah. That way, when you recover the ball, when, when you're in a def- defensive position, you're on the other team's field. Right. So, you know, your defense is not as vulnerable that way. Yeah. And I will say one thing to add to that real quick is I, I do think Tottenham did a very, very good job at the beginning of being organized and winning tackles. Sissoko, I mean, he yes. was coming in big, winning some tackles. And just like you're saying, you win it early and then play it up to your playmakers. Let them go. You know, we're, we're here for support, but yeah. yeah. Understand your role. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. Shall we switch over to Bournemouth Arsenal? Yeah. This morning as we're recording this. Yeah. First, just, I guess, general impressions before we get into the tactics on the game. On Yeah, I think uh, I think Bournemouth started stronger. Uh, it was almost like, uh, you know, Chelsea-Tottenham. All of a sudden, Bournemouth is out the first 15 minutes and they're, I don't know, had a goal called back for offsides. And, but they looked to be the better team the first 15 minutes as far as effort and winning 50-50 balls, playing, you know, the counterattacks and everything. I think what what got them was maybe they lacked the the, the same quality as, as Tottenham to put those chances away. Uh, you know they were they were getting the ball in the final third, but then you know bad pass or bad cross, and Arsenal was able to get out of it. Uh, and then Arsenal kind of fights back in the twentieth minute. They kind of took over a little bit more, kind of came into the game some, get the own goal. You know, and again that's that's what we tell we tell youth players play the ball low and hard across yeah. because that's what happens. It's part of the game. You know, that's part of the game. Uh, make it difficult for them. I I wasn't thoroughly impressed by either team. To be honest, Arsenal missed a lot of opportunities. Bournemouth had a couple as well. But, you know, at the end, Arsenal grinds out the the 2-1 victory. I got to tell you that one thing I don't agree with you is Bournemouth, I was actually in the first half specifically very impressed. I got to say, I have not seen a lot of Bournemouth soccer. Right. I was very impressed. But you draw a parallelism between this game and the other game we just looked at. And I agree on that comparison. The way I I saw it, it was another example of one team coming out with a vision for how, Mm. what is your identity as a team. Right. And the other one coming out with a more rigid structure that doesn't play out. For me, that rigid structure from Arsenal was the three in the back with the wing backs, which I think right. we'll look at a little bit. We'll look at that in a second because yeah. I, I don't think it worked well for them right. at all. And Bournemouth, what I liked is you're talking about how they, they lack that, that talent, I guess, right. the way other teams have. I think they made good use of the talent they have in the first mm-hmm. half. The strategy seemed very clear to me without being too rigid. And that strategy was fast on the ground vertical passes. Yes. Uh, they didn't have the intention, even if they, when they could, they did not want to possess the ball for a minute, even if right. they probably could have. They didn't want to. They wanted vertical passes and finished plays extremely quickly, yes. either with a shot from the outside or a cross. And what that meant is it, there was always like a lot of pace and mm-hmm. also a feeling of danger right. that something could happen on any given play. Right. Uh, and I really like that. Getting a little bit more into the analysis of the first half, I also like the Bournemouth defense in the first half. Yeah. They were very well organized. They had their back four and the the near outside midfielder, the, the midfielder, the outside midfielder who was on the side of the attack would drop into a very deliberate uh, fullback position. So they would play with a line of five. What that meant is they were able to shift their players in a very balanced way mm-hmm. to the side of attack. 
without exposing the far side too much. Right. So they did they did the shifting through the formation instead of by players running because we know the ball always is going right. to get there before the players do. So this way, they didn't have to shift by having a bunch of players sprint across. They just kind of shifted the formation right. using the back as the pivot. Uh, and I really, really like that. Uh, we'll talk about the second Arsenal goal in the second half later when that kind of broke down. But overall, I really like their defensive scheme. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with you. I, I guess uh, I've seen a lot of EPL and this, this it's not a an uncommon tactic uh, that Bournemouth used. And you don't have the quick attack. As a quick fast, attack, yeah. yeah. They, you know, some of these smaller these smaller teams, they understand, okay, we're not going to be able to possess. We're not going to be able to play around these guys. What are we good at? Uh, and I think Bournemouth does a good job of using, you know, it was at Vitality Stadium. It's small, it's compact. They get the crowd into it, you know, that old English soccer feel. Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, they, they did what they needed to do. Yeah. Um, if they had a little bit more quality on, on finishing or that final third, I think yeah. Arsenal really could have been in trouble because, they, like you said, they, all right, we're getting the ball, we're going, we're going to attack, we're going to be direct. But not senseless, right? Like, no. they weren't just punting the no, ball. Absolutely were, not. It was very rehearsed. Yes, it was very deliberate. And yeah. here's what we're doing. Okay, they use the right side a lot. And, you know, try to get some crosses in. Josh King's goal right before half. I mean, that was a, that was a beauty. Beautiful, you know? Connor. Beautiful. Former, former United. Oh, right really? There. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, they, I, I thought, again, they had their identity, like you said. And, you know, Arsenal should have known that's what was coming. Uh, they didn't seem to, you know, kind of get with the game plan till uh, much later on. Uh, but yeah, I, I think not to say that I wasn't necessarily impressed by Bournemouth, but more of you know that's that's kind of what Bournemouth is, and that's yeah. and that's what they do well, and they're coached well, and they know their limitations, they know their strengths. They, they almost shifted to like a three three four or mm-hmm. two four four on offense again, so that when they had those vertical passes, there was always somebody to receive, which I liked. I have some thoughts on the yeah. Arsenal yeah. three in the back wing. <laughs> back defense but what are your general impressions on on how that played out you know i wing backs i'm, I'm torn you, ha- you have to do it well or it just have doesn't to do it well. work right right and it's hard you know when you're doing it against a team that's going to counter like Bournemouth, you have to do it right because if you get caught up and now you're left vulnerable on one side, you know. Spoiler: and, I mean, They didn't do it right, right. Right. I mean, you were talking about the final third and the quality right. there. Right. If Bournemouth had had a couple more high quality players, yeah, yeah, they would have punished Arsenal absolutely. You know, this is uh, their left back. I can't think of his name right now for Arsenal. I mean, he was up, you know, on the forward line half the time. Yeah, and I, they, they were neither on offense nor on defense, right? No. So right. when right. Bournemouth were attacking, especially in the first half. The wingbacks were not getting back. Right. So the, one of the three center backs would shift out wide and leave a giant hole, gaping hole in the center lane. Agreed. And so instead of playing so much wide in the final third, they would just pass the ball inside, Bournemouth right. would, because there's a giant gaping hole. Either, of course, the wingbacks have to get back, like you are saying, or that holding mid has to drop into a center back position. Correct. Neither of those things was happening. Right. So instead, you had three center backs, uh, and they were 15, 20 yards apart from each other. Right. With nothing in between them. And then on offense, I, I saw, I, I think they were, they were standing exactly in the middle of the field. They were not really right. working. They were not helping the team come out of the back. No. Uh, when the three Arsenal ba- center backs were trying to pass the ball out of the back, right. the wingbacks were nowhere to be seen. But they said no. that's what I noticed in a lot of plays. They were just like up top instead of dropping and, you know, stretching the field. Correct. Yeah. So it, that's Im- absolutely impossible for Arsenal. In fact, Arsenal made, they ended up not making any mistakes, but right. they made a lot of, horizontal passes across right. the top of the 18 mm-hmm. that are generally dangerous if you do them that Correct. often yeah, because I think the wingbacks were not there so the center backs were stretching themselves out absolutely yeah and you know you you leave those gaping holes and again against a side like Bournemouth who's gonna counter you would have thought that Arsenal would have and, I, it's, I and just, let's talk about that counter actually because yeah. I think that's a good example yeah. I don't think we really need to talk about the Arsenal 
goal because it was an own goal right, on right. an otherwise poor cross. Yeah. There's really, I think, nothing to look right. at there. Right. So your take on the counter from Bournemouth right before the no. end of the half. I mean, it's perfect. It's like we said, that is their identity. They look at the ball, they say, you know, they win it, and they're immediately getting forward. Uh, if you notice, if you watch the goal, okay, Bournemouth's flying forward. Josh King's, you know, creating some space. They've got some movement. Clearly something that they've worked on. Okay, how do we expose teams on the counter? Arsenal, you've got one guy jogging back, one guy kind of trotting back, one guy is actually sprinting, but there's no urgency to get back. You know, they leave those holes like you're talking about, you know, wing back getting forward and just hanging out. And now there's no defensive mid that's there to protect or to drop and have four back there. And now all of a sudden they're trying to chase back and some of them are doing it and some of them aren't. At the end of the day, you know, it was clinical finish, perfect, nothing Perfect uh, shift of the point of attack. Absolutely, yeah. In two touches, they were from all the way on the left to all the mm-hmm. way on the right. Yes. Perfect shift. Absolutely. And again, that's something you can tell they've practiced that on the training pitch, and now they've they've executed. And it does uh, feel good, don't they? Know? When yes. you, when you execute <laughs> something you've rehearsed. Yes, absolutely. You feel very accomplished, mm-hmm. almost more so than when you score like an individual goal. Right. Yeah. Like, hey, this is this is what we've been doing all week. This is what we put time and effort into, and we can see a direct result of that payoff. I thought they definitely could have had a couple more like that as well. Yeah. So the second half was a very, very, very different half, I thought. Yes. I talked earlier about being impressed with how Bournemouth defended from a tactical standpoint. And I do agree that, interestingly, Bournemouth focused a lot more on shifting players and putting people on the sides, on the wings, rather than Mm -hmm. the center, leaving the center wide open. Here's the thing. In the first half, it didn't matter. Arsenal never tried to take that space, even though it was there. Right. They kept insisting on the on the wings, mm-hmm. but Bournemouth was defending that well. Right. In the second half, I thought Arsenal did a better job at stepping into that midfield and I kind agree. of owning that midfield a lot more. Yes. This is one of those things I don't really want to criticize Bournemouth because right. with tactics, always something has to give. If you right. do a really good job at defending one side, the other side's going to suffer a little bit. That's right. inevitable. I think it paid off for them in the first half. Yeah. But in the second half, you know, it got Arsenal picked up on it and right. they took advantage. Right. Credit to Unai Emery, uh, you know, he's questions about him coming in as an Arsenal manager. Can he, you know, be effective? And I think, you know, we're seeing somehow he's finding ways to win. You know, we talked a little bit about it this morning. Arsenal don't look that impressive as far as their build up and I guess, but they're, they're finding ways to win. They're right there. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're winning. They're on a winning streak. You know, they've, they've tied a couple, but they're finding the ways to win. And that's ultimately what matters is can you figure out that little weakness and exploit it? Whether you're grinding out a two, one win, obviously you're happy to get the three points. I think, you know, they made the adjustment second half to do what they needed to do. It wasn't a complete performance, but I think, like you said, Bournemouth did a really good job in the first half, frustrating Arsenal. Arsenal makes some adjustments at halftime and find ways to kind of, you know, poke holes in, in Bournemouth and, and utilize the other space that they that they had there. I, I will tell you that even though Arsenal definitely improved, mm-hmm. I still want to see a little bit more of identity from them. I even agree. the second half, they took advantage of that, especially that center lane, right. because Bournemouth was leaving that open. Again, kind of on purpose to yeah. protect the sides, uh, or as a consequence, I should say, right. of protecting the sides so much. But at the end of the day, it was just a a bunch of Arsenal players who are some are very talented some are somewhat talented and ultimately you're just expecting that with so much possession something will come of it and it did but I didn't see any identity I didn't see a a fallback plan for when you as a team you don't really know what to do you know or, or you're stuck in a game. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back to our team basics. Right. I didn't really see any of that. It was just, they just had the ball more because they have talented players. Right. Whereas I feel like Bournemouth, again, even though they lost the game, I feel like they have an identity. Right. So when, you know, when they need to get back to basics or compose themselves, yes. which they did after they conceded second goal, mm-hmm. they know what they have to fall back on. Right. And they, and they try to utilize that. Right. So Arsenal won, but I would like them 
Unai to work a little bit more on building an identity. I agree. Uh, I think maybe he got accustomed to just not having to do that at PSG because <laughs> you have Neymar, Cavani, right. and <laughs> Di Maria, yeah, and Mbappe. Mbappe. Yeah. So you almost don't need an identity right. with those guys. Right. But at Arsenal, at most clubs, right. you have to build that identity. You have to put your your touch as a, as a as a manager into what is your expectation for how the team is going to attack. Right. What is Arsenal going to be known for? Exactly. Um, Bournemouth might not be a Champions League team but to me they have a clear style and identity and i i really enjoy that from a from a tactical standpoint yeah no i agree i i think if arsenal can find identity they really could be dangerous i mean if we're we're seeing what they're doing without one right now um so they've they've got some talent they've got you know obama yang uh they've got lacazette you know on the bench and they've got also they've got guys that can be creative and create some chances but putting that into some type of game plan you know some what is what is arsenal going to be known for you look around the league and you can see so many teams city okay i mean pep is obviously you know we'll we'll cover them at some point and i mean I'll say things that have already been said. I mean, it's astonishing what they're doing there. You know, and that's coming Tottenham, from United. we were just talking about Tottenham. Tottenham. Absolutely, yeah. You know, Chelsea, to a sense, they have an identity, but it's too rigid. You know, yeah. they're not using their strengths. It's finding that balance. And, you know, Arsenal, they've got a lot to improve. Uh, they've got a lot of room for improvement. I thought Aubameyang had a couple of chances. I mean, Arsenal as a whole, Mkhitaryan yeah. had a couple of chances. Can you put those away and have a comfortable win? I agree. Uh, for me, there's really not much more to analyze in the second yeah. half. It's a little more erratic. What is your, what are again your two, three bullet points for each team? A, just bullet point right. observations. B, what people should look out for when they watch them play and right. maybe C, well, what do you, do you have any homework for these teams? I think Arsenal, just what we touched on, you know, uh, trying not to repeat myself here too much, but find an identity. Can you improve in the final third? Can you put chances away, you know, and and have a more comfortable game? I think figuring out that defensive part as well, uh, yeah. you know, because some other teams are going to have the quality and they're going to punish them. But whatever's whatever they're doing right now has been working well enough. We'll see how long that lasts without an identity. Uh, Bournemouth, I think, you know, they, we've talked about it. They, they had a game plan. They executed. They came up short. They had a couple chances to tie the game or maybe go ahead. You know, rather unlucky own goal, so to speak, did, did put them down to begin with. But I think, can they continue their identity? Can they continue some of the success that they've had in the past couple of years, knowing, hey, these are our strengths and this is what we're going to do. So th- that's that's what I want to see, is can Bournemouth stick to it and can they get back into things? and Hopefully you know, it pays off. For hopefully it pays off, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. For, for me, it's, it's similar. So for Arsenal... They have to figure out this wing back situation. If this is how they want to play, they mm-hmm. have to figure it out. You, you can't just, it seems to me like as a coach, what Unai, and of course we don't know what's happening behind closed doors, but it seems to sure. me like what happened is Unai is just basically saying, we're going to play with wing backs and, uh, you guys probably just know how to do, right? right. Okay. Let's, let's play. Right. No, you have to rehearse it. It doesn't matter how good, frankly, your players are. You have to rehearse it. They have to figure out it's such a dif- difficult formation and tactic to execute well. Mm-hmm. And they, executed it horribly and so they have to figure it out the wing backs have to drop or at least one of them right so that the team can bounce as an alternative or probably even in addition to that on defense uh, especially on the counters the holding mid has to fill in and become a center back right, right. for the Absolutely. rest of the attack mm-hmm. period yeah. it has to be a, a, a center back otherwise the holes are too huge yes uh, and then the same thing you talked about the identity, so I won't repeat that. And then for Bournemouth, I want to keep, I want to yeah. see them keep doing what they're doing. I'm actually, this is really weird to say, yeah. I did not think I was going to say that. I'm looking forward to seeing Bournemouth more. Yeah. To see how they evolve and how they play. Right. I love that they have a style to fall back on. My only homework for them, and this is kind of unfair to ask, it's easier said than done. I want them to keep that high pressure that has been 
beginning yeah. of the game throughout the game. Throughout the game. Or right. maybe if, you know, that's very exhausting, so you don't mm-hmm. have to do it the whole 90 minutes, but try to sparsely do it. Right. Because whenever they pressured high on Arsenal, mm-hmm. in two passes they were in front of the goal because right. of that verticality that we talked about. Right. So I want to see a little bit more of that high pressure for them because when they played out of the back from the very from very deep, mm-hmm. it just they just don't do that well. No. But when they can recover in midfield, mm-hmm. in the midfield line, two or three vertical passes there in front of the goal, putting crossing, shooting right. from out of the box. So that's the homework I want to see from them. Yeah. I want them to focus a little bit more on that high pressure because it's going to feed the rest of their strategy a little bit better. Yeah. I, I mean, talk about Frazier uh, for Bournemouth. I mean, he leads the league in assists right now. He does. Six. And I mean, they're... You know, a point back from United at seventh and only, you know, right now they're seven points off the top five. For a Bournemouth team, you know, that, that's, that's not bad. They, they know their identity and they're playing well to it. So can they continue? And next up, they've got City. Yeah. That'll be a test. You know, City's going to be a lot more organized than Arsenal. So that'll be interesting to watch out for. It'll be interesting to see if they can, how much they can stick to their identity when faced against a team like Chelsea. Yes. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and Arsenal, their two losses this year were against City and Chelsea. Teams that can punish you for those mistakes. So, you know, we're going to go go looking forward. How can Arsenal figure that out? Great. So those are the two games we're going to look at this week. Uh, yep. What are we going to look at next week? Which games? Um, so next week we've got, on December 1st, Saturday, we've got Manchester United, Southampton. United struggling. It's no secret this year. Uh, so how, how do they stack up against Southampton? Are the tactics going to change? What's Mourinho going to do? I mean, he's been, you know, let, let's sit back. Let's park the bus, so to speak, a lot of times. Um, smash and grab. All those things that are associated with Mourinho. Does he let them have a little bit more creativity? We're talking Similar about to we're talking you know, to Chelsea, right? Yes, I mean, absolutely. You have these great players. Mm-hmm. And you're telling them what to do. Right, right. You know, cross the ball into Lukaku and Fellini to knock it down and try and poke one in. So that that one for me will be interesting. What's our Sunday game? Sunday game, 7 a.m. is Chelsea Fulham. The 9 is Arsenal Tottenham. Okay. So, and then you've got, uh, which is, you know, the North London Derby. I think we'll, let's try to look at a couple of those games yeah, for good. next week. So next, let's talk about some headlines. Okay. Yeah, I think big one in La Liga, Real Madrid, again, losing 3-0 to Ibar. It's Ibar's first victory over Real Madrid. Interesting to see how that one will play out. We talked about City, you know, taking care of business again, making it look easy. United struggling. One thing we talked about maybe looking at was uh, Atlanta United being, you know, here in Atlanta. Talk a little bit about MLS playoffs. Obviously, MLS on a very different timeline as far as fixtures and dates and things, but... uh they take on New York Red Bulls in the first leg tonight or this evening uh, in the conference finals, a team that they haven't beat. So leg one's today, leg two is on Thursday. You know, maybe we'll have something to talk about next week. Yeah, maybe next of... week we can focus a little bit more. If, if not next week, mm-hmm. at the very least, I think after the MLS final, yeah. I think that's a game that we can analyze. Yeah, I agree. We kind of maybe take a look back at some of the big moments or things like that and just kind of, is MLS growing? Maybe kind of look at a big picture uh, tactically wise, how MLS compares to, to some other leagues. Great. Uh... The last thing I want to do before we leave mm-hmm. is uh, I want to hand out some bookings. All right, perfect. <laughs> uh, so this is where we just complain and rant about things, right? Uh, I want to complain, and as you pointed out this morning, maybe yes. it wasn't the same by every media outlet, but at least the score, which is the app that, I, that I've been using yes. to, to track scores, they reported Tottenham's formation as 4-1-2-1-2. And you were saying, I think, on another media outlets they were not yeah. doing the same but I think it still stands because we see this right. sporadically come on that's not a formation 4-1-2-1-2 right. is not a formation especially when you look at a team like Tottenham that is so fluid in how they play Right. you you can't just look on paper at how we're Oh, Dele Alli is technically a little bit more offensive right. than Ericsson therefore they have he has his own line right 
Come on, stop it. So I'm going to hand out, uh, how about just a warning? Okay. Not even a just, yellow right, yet, right, but I want to give the score a warning. I'm okay. definitely going to be on the lookout. And if I see any more of this horrible formation reporting, I'm going to have to hand them out a yellow card. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, that's that's something that kind of irritates me as well. Is, you know, this this liberty that all these outlets have taken now. Oh, this this formation, we're changing it to uh, four, one, one, two. No, okay, there's four in the midfield. They might line up differently Yeah. than another four. It's, you know, four, 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 two, four, three, three. Okay, and you know, all these other variations that you yeah. want to just add things. It, yeah, just to try and make it look different. Yeah, I agree. strange. So a warning, maybe okay. just because this is our first episode. Right, right. So, you know, we don't want to be too harsh. We That's want fair. to let them play a little bit. Yeah. So letting them off with a warning. Okay. But the next one definitely will be a yellow. Yeah. For are, me, there any, are there any cards you want to hand out? Uh, for me, kind of one that maybe started this whole thing, this whole idea of the podcast. Some of this reporting, okay, especially players like David De Gea. Yeah, we saw it at the World Cup. These these statistics of, oh, you know, De Gea's letting in all these goals, you know, the World Cup. But look beyond the statistics. Look at each individual goal. Yes, the Cristiano Ronaldo goal. Did he need to stop that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Beyond that, yeah. is there anything he can do about it? Probably no. not. Okay. Yes, he's a world class goalkeeper. Maybe he makes, maybe, maybe you can expect from a world class goalkeeper, unfairly, that he makes some unbelievable saves here and there. And I think De Gea has shown that throughout his, his career that he can do that. Uh, I saw a statistic the other day that I sent you talking about all oh, these goals that De Gea has let in this year. Okay. Again, look, who's in front of him? All right. You know, what, what are they breaking down? It's got to be more honest on, all right. Well, the center backs, the outside backs, the midfielders, they're not tracking back. What's De Gea going to do about that? The 44 pass goal that City scored. Yeah. Okay. That starts from people, you know, the, the structure of the entire team. But now who gets blamed for it? Or who, you know, the statistics of, oh, De Gea is not a world-class goalkeeper. Blah, blah, blah. They did the same thing to Courtois. Yes. I saw yesterday. You know, all these goals that he's let in, you know, with Belgium and the 5-1 loss to Switzerland. It's, it's very rare that a goalkeeper, I say rare, not never, right. but it's very rare. Like, for example, Icarius, right, in the mm-hmm. in the Champions League final. A, a keeper on a mistake might lose you a game right. on a mistake, even though even that's kind of a little bit harsh. Right. But if it's a really, really close game, yeah. sure. A keeper can never lose you a season right. or be at fault for how your season is going. Right. At most, I will accept an individual game, but you cannot, you, you can't negatively associate a keeper's performance right. with the season. I agree. If a keeper like De Gea is doing well, that, you know, that can get you from they second place to first points. place, Absolutely. from third place to second. Mm-hmm. And I'll argue that De Gea has, where's all the statistics about the points that he's gained then? Right. Okay. How many points has he saved him by miraculous goal line saves and things like that that he had no business doing? So this has been going on for a while, this yes. criticism specifically of the chaos. So are you going to hand out a card or? You... I, I'm going to go and I'm going to give him a yellow card. Okay. Okay. Uh, I am going to hold back. And you know, them, I'm... you, not the chaos, of course, you're talking not about the, the, of outlets. the, the media. The general yes, media outlets. I agree. Yes. I'm giving them a yellow card, clean it up, picking on certain players and, and lazy statistics. That's, that to me deserves a yellow card. Great. I'll accept it. Yeah. <laughs> they better be, watch out. They don't want to get a red. That's huh? right. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to decide what happens when they get a red. Yeah. We need to <laughs> find a way to enforce this. Enforce it. <laughs> Great. So that's been uh, this week's podcast, our first podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Our had first a lot of episode fun. Uh, for the zero people who are going to listen to it. Yeah. Uh, well, we had fun doing it. Uh, we talked about it earlier next week. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at a couple more games. Yeah. Either more headlines or some other topic. I agree. Yeah. Sounds good, man. I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. I to many more. Thank you to nobody for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day when we're, uh, you know, got tons of followers, you can look back as this uh, throwback episode and where it all started. Great. Well, thank <laughs> you. Now we'll talk next week. All right. Sounds good, man.